It is good to be together, yeah? And um, I think it's good to be together tonight. Um, and I really do believe that what we're about to do now is at the, at the heart of God's purposes for the world. Um, before I start, have you guys heard of this persecution, this suffering that Christians in Iraq are going through at the moment? Who's heard about that? Um, it's staggering and it's not being reported in a lot of news things, but in Iraq, there's this city called Mosul, for example, and for 1,600 years, this city's had Christians in it, and over the last month, the, there's an Islamic group um, called ISIS, Islamic State something, something, and they, um, they basically put out this command to the, to the whole people, if you're a Christian, convert to Islam, pay a tax that no one can afford to pay, or die. And so uh, 300,000 Christians have been fleeing. And, and it's pretty shocking what's here. There's pictures of truckloads of Christians being taken off to be executed. Christians are being beheaded. Uh, children are being beheaded. Luke, Charles are telling me their, their heads are being put on like stakes. It's brutal stuff that's happening out there. And I hear about that and I was like, what do you do about that? You want to do something, Yeah. Except I think sometimes you get so overwhelmed by so many things out there, the, 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 the kind of feeling you start with of like you want to do something, you kind of you give up. And I, I guess I want to say to us, um, I think it's pretty close to the heart of God, his people. Um, and it says um, in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, to remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And it says, remember those who are mistreated as though you're suffering with them. And so I, I don't know, you, you, what can we do? Um, I read an article, um, and I'll post up on the youth website later tonight, but um, it has five things you can do, um, and some of them are social media stuff you can get involved with, um, you can uh, pray, you can give uh, financially um, to support like persecuted Christians around the world, um, you, can, you can even um, write to politicians to try and raise their awareness and get some actions on it, um, and actually I've got a quote um, from one of the people who uh, has left Iraq and they're in a refugee camp and it's, She's, she's talking about how on, on social media around the world, people are changing their profile pictures. And she writes, it's encu- I don't know whether this is a translation or not, but she writes, it's encouraging to see that around the world, people are supporting us. We're still proud to be Christians. We will always be Christians. Uh, they're part of our global family. And I guess um, we just want to make sure that we're not, as a people, um, getting discouraged and not doing anything about things. When you, when you see stuff out in the world that you care about, let's, let's do something about it. And I reckon at the moment... One thing we can do together is pray for them. So that's how I want to start tonight, just by lifting up our brothers and our sisters across the world. Just be with them and support them. And God, um, when we here can get so complacent um, in, the, in the comfortable and relatively easy uh, life that we have following you here, I pray please that um, yeah, you'll shake us up as well and we just won't uh, drift with the culture and assume that uh, whatever they're, wherever they're going is right. That kind of suffering um, is not new. Um, Jesus suffered and he actually did say that those who come after him, who want to uh, follow him, will probably undergo the same kind of thing that he undergoed. The world hated him and it'll hate us. That's kind of the expectation. That's what we signed up for. Um, and I want to tell you about a guy called uh, Thomas Cranmer. Um, there's a picture of him there. And Thomas Cranmer, this is about 500 years ago, he grew up in England when um, the kind of... Uh, Different people are in power, but at one time this lady was in power called Mary, Queen Mary, also known as Bloody Mary. Um, and Bloody Mary uh, was a, a Catholic as, as she was ruling as queen. And this guy, Thomas Cramer, he spent his whole life preaching truths, um, actually truths from this passage. 
His whole life um, was built upon um, the very issue that Paul's arguing about in this passage. And he's arguing about, um, he makes kind of three arguments. The first one, he uses kind of the spirit and their experiences with that. So follow along with me if you've got a Bible there. And it was cool to see everyone bend down and pick up their Bible. That's cool. We like people bringing their Bibles. But you see in verse 2, he asks, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, option 1, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by hearing or believing what you heard. Three times in there, he uses this contrast to show it's not by flesh, your effort. It's not by what you do. It's by faith. That's the argument from the Spirit. And then he goes on six to nine, and he gives the argument from Scripture about a guy called Abraham. So also Abraham believed God, and that was credited to him as righteousness. That was kind of almost paid into his spiritual bank account as goodness, uh, By trusting God's promise, he was given goodness. Understand then, verse 7, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify, that means declare innocent, the Gentiles, that means everyone who's not a Jew, by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of Faith In almost every single verse, this word faith or believing comes up. And then he goes on with the argument um, also from Scripture, but this time based on what the law can't do and what Jesus Christ has done and therefore can do for you. And so he goes, for all who rely on works of the law. What are works of the law? Well, it's works, doing, um, deeds that you do of the law. That's God's law, the Old Testament. So when he talks about works of the law, he's saying everyone who tries to obey God's commands... Uh, under a curse. As it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So he's quoting the law, and in the law itself, in God's Old Testament, it says that cursed, that means punished by God, is anyone who doesn't do what he commands. And so he says that everyone who relies on that is cursed. Why is that? Well, verse 11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because another part of the law says the righteous will live by faith. So there's that tension again, works and faith. And then verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things, what you do, your effort will live by them, but Christ. So that's what the law can't do. The law can't save you. Obeying God's commands can't save you. But verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He set us free from it by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we may receive the promise of the Spirit. What's marching all the way through those verses? It's constantly this comparison of trying to earn or do things to get saved, to get right with God, versus trusting in Jesus and what he has done. It's what we saw last week. It's, uh, last week we saw how your good works can't save you. Jesus can save you, and it's by trusting in him that you get justified. And that was what last week was about. Justification is being declared innocent by God, no, no guilt remaining. And so this whole passage is, is about whether you're justified, innocent by, before God, by what you do, or by simply trusting in Jesus. In other words, this passage is basically saying God is not a bad dad. 
Uh, God's not the kind of dad who says, if you, lo- if you obey me, then I'll love you, then I'll accept you. God's not like a bad dad. God's a good dad who says, actually, if you trust in Jesus, if you've, if you've come home to me through Jesus, then I already love you, I already accept you, regardless of what you've done, because I love you, obey me. That's a good dad. Because I love you, because I accept you already, obey me. This whole, this whole passage is about that. And it's something that no other religion in the world teaches. Christianity is completely unique in this. Every other religion, Islam says, uh, well, every other religion agrees that there's a problem. And every other religion says, if you work hard enough, if you follow the five-fold path in Buddhism, you'll attain nirvana. If you, in Islam, uh, do, the, do the things, is it five-fold? Might be eightfold. Eightfold. In Islam, anyway. in Islam it's by what you do. Um, in, in Hinduism, you've got karma. You've, you've done bad. You've got to do good to pay off your karma. Some studies of religion people will correct my, the details. Uh, been a while. But every other religion is based on what you do. But not this one. It's not automatic. I should point that out. A lot of people think God will save everybody. But here it's quite clearly saying God will save those who trust in Jesus. Now... Um, this is what was going on for Thomas Cranmer, uh, the guy in the picture. He was, he was teaching these things, but the, the Catholic queen didn't like what was being taught. And I often get asked, um, are Catholics going to heaven? People, that's a question people often have, or are Catholics... My, um, my family, or my dad's side, is Catholic. I love them, um, and I have a lot of heart for them. Um, and I think within any... You know, within Catholicism as a, as a movement, of course, there's differences of opinion and differences of, um, like, even church to church and Christians within the church, they all believe, um, they might all believe different things. And I believe that some Catholics are Christians uh, and some Christians, Catholics are trusting in Jesus. But if this, um, salvation by faith, what, trusting in Jesus, if that's what saves you and you follow what the Catholic Church officially teaches, which is this, that there's a stuff that you must not do, and there's stuff that you, you must do. And you've got to go to, go to Mass. You've got to go to confession. Uh, you've got to do the penance. If you, if you don't do these things and you do do these things, then you'll be saved. Then you go to heaven. Now, if a person is believing what they're hearing in that, in that situation, are they trusting in Jesus as their Savior? God can judge, but as far as I can work out, they're actually trusting in themselves. And so uh, that's why the, the Catholics actually really, really didn't like what these guys were teaching. That's why there was um, all this kind of division about it. Uh, because the Bible quite clearly says it's by faith in Christ that saves you. And so this Bloody Mary, this queen, um, she got uh, this guy Thomas Cranmer arrested, chucked in prison. And she said to him, if you write something taking back everything that you have said, we'll let you out. And he wouldn't do it. And so they put him on the, the death row. They, um, they were going to kill him. And, and again, they said, if you take this stuff back, um, the, the church's teaching said, if you, if you write a full um, recantation, taking back everything you've said, we'll, we'll let you off. Now, what would you have done in that situation? Because I'll tell you what Cramner did. He did it. He, he wrote out, uh, I take back everything I've taught. I... I no longer hold these beliefs. I submit to the full authority of the Pope. Uh, the Catholic Church is the only true church. There's no salvation outside the Catholic Church, which is the Catholic Church official teaching. But the Queen decided that he'd, um, he'd been too stubborn for too long. 
And even though the church, should have, uh, by its own rules, should have let him go, she decided to make an example of him, which actually proved to be a huge mercy in his life because um, as they, end up, they just end up going through with it and, and burning him at stake, which is what that picture is. And as they were lighting or, or getting ready to, to burn him, they gave him a chance to publicly tell everybody, I got it wrong, uh, the Catholic Church is right. What he actually said was, I was... I was a fool to take back what I said. I was, right the, I was right the first time with what I was saying. The Catholic Church is wrong about this. Salvation is by faith. He ended up just basically preaching the true gospel of Jesus. And then what that picture is actually showing is he, he, he thrust his hand into the fire. He wanted that to be burnt first. He said, this wretched hand that signed this declaration. Now, things were hectic 500 years ago. This kind of stuff uh, is just crazy. Um, I'll just tell you about two other guys real quick, um, Latimer and Ridley. Um, these guys are about three years before Cranmer. And um, similar thing, they were teaching uh, salvation, justification is by faith. And they were um, sentenced to death as well. Um, they were put on trial and, um, before this and, and these guys were like 84, one of them and the other one was old as well. And as they are on trial, um, they're almost too old to carry out an argument, but they're faithful to the truths that they've held all the way to the end. And then um, we'll go to the next slide. As they are about to be burned, here's what um, Latimer said to Ridley. Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. How's that? The candle he's talking about is the truths that he's been living for uh, and, and now he's about to die for. Them. These exact truths, that, the exact issue that Paul is writing about in this chapter were things that people consider through history to be worth dying over. Now, I don't know how you, you respond to that. Dying over a disagreement of opinion, does the truth really matter that much? If you've got your Bible there, have a look at verse 1 there. Look how Paul starts this. You foolish Galatians. I don't know if that's how he would have said it, but they're strong words. Who has bewitched you? It's almost like someone's cast a spell on you. That's how um, you've kind of drifted from the truth. And then he goes on to write this whole section, arguing, trying to persuade them that they've drifted off track. This whole section. Now, why does Paul do that? Why does he bother? Well, it's because he realizes the truths of these these. Uh, these truths are so important. And it's as we saw in week one of this term, it's because the stakes of these truths are so high. If you get to heaven this way and not this way, then it's critical that people see that it is this way and put their faith in Christ. That's why he's taking the time, because these truths are eternally important. And the other thing it tells you, what does it tell you about humans that it takes him so long to get through and persuade them? And he has to use so many arguments. I think it tells you that we as humans are very reluctant to believe that God would save us purely by what he's done and not by what we do. And why do we find that so hard to believe? I think it's because it's, it's humbling. It's very, we, we like to think we're great. We like to think we can, we can do it. We can get there. And this comes along and says, actually, no, you haven't got there. You can't get there. I, God says, I need to do something about this situation. I need to be the one that, that sends the Savior. And we don't like it in our pride, which um, I think is one reason why around the world people hate Christians and why Christianity is today the most persecuted uh, religion. And I think it actually tells you something about your Christian life if you are a Christian tonight. 
it tells you that you're going to have to fight hard to keep remembering these things because Paul's having to write hard uh, to write all that stuff to remind them of it. Now, I just want to apply this to us. Firstly, I want us just to see that, that differences in opinion on some truths really do matter. It might be helpful to think about it like this. There are some truths that it is critical not to get wrong. And if you get those wrong, it will matter eternally. There are some truths that are critical. Then there are some truths that are very important to get right. Maybe not as critical, but still very, very important to get right. And then there are some, some things that are kind of important. You want to get them right if you can, but they're not that significant. And then outside that, there are some things, well, really, who cares what, what people think about that? Is that helpful, a way of seeing it? And you go, well, how do you know which are the things that really matter? Well, firstly, what does the Bible say really matters? And here you've got a good example of one thing the Bible says is, is absolutely critical. The other thing you might want to ask is, um, how will this mistake, if I think they make a mistake, I don't think it matches up with what the Bible says, how will this mistake affect the glory of God? How will it shine on Him? How does it, does it affect who people think He is? And thirdly, you might want to also ask, will it hurt people to believe this thing? Will it hurt them now? Will it hurt them eternally? There you go. So differences in some things really do matter. Secondly, I reckon it's not always easy to work out what you're going to do about it. I don't know if you've been hearing things around, around the place that you're like, I'm not sure if I agree with that. I'm not sure if that matches up with what I think the Bible says. I think it's worth just remembering we're not Paul. <laughs> we, we don't need to necessarily write them a letter telling them why they're wrong. That, that may be right, but that may not be. It's critical that we have love and grace and humility as we do it. But if you're kind of trying to work out how do we interact with all this stuff um, in whatever situation you're in, and you want to try to think through it together, next week in the foyer, we're actually going to, um, after this time next week, we'll, you can get together um, and, and just chat it out. Number three, it's, it's definitely good, I think you can learn from this passage, to seek the good of other Christians. To seek to try and build them up if, if they're going off track, just to try and seek to bring them back on track, um, to try and encourage them. I reckon, as I said at the start of the night, I think this is right at the heart of God's purposes, to be building up the church. And you see for Paul that there was a lot of effort required to get to this place. And sometimes the things that might be taking people astray are very, very serious and are worth a lot of effort. Now... Um, one of the things that means is we need to be in relationship with each other so we can know what's going on for each other. It might mean that we need to be at youth group regularly so that we can see and get to know how each other are going. It might be that we need to be going to GTMs really regularly just to, to be talking this stuff through with each other. But it's worth it to seek the good of other Christians. That's what Paul's doing here. And lastly, I just want to ask, when people try to correct you, how do you respond to that? Because if this was me going off, off track and you came to me and, and tried to talk to me, would I listen to you? Would I give you the time of day? I pray that we would be a people who are easily teachable, who are humble enough to, to go, yeah, well, maybe I got that wrong. I'm, I'm ready to hear what you've got to say. And I'm so thankful for brothers that I've had over the years, Christian brothers like Rick. Um, and, and at times in my life, I've been wrong about stuff and Rick's helped me see that and it's been so helpful. So would you, and would you, if someone came to correct you, would you think maybe this person's doing it out of love? Maybe they're not judging me. Maybe they just want to help me. I reckon that's some stuff you can learn just from the way that Paul's writing this here. But do you get what, what's going on in this passage? You get that he's making arguments to try and persuade people that justification, 
God declaring you good with him is by faith. Is that, is that something that you believe? Is that something that you believe so strongly that like Latimer, Ridley and Cranmer, you would even die for that? Well, I think we'll, we'll go through some of the arguments Paul uses and see whether we, we believe him, um, whether it convinces us. So here's argument number one. It's by faith, not by what you do, because Jesus died. That's what he says in verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, when I was reading this, I was like, what? I don't really get why you were talking about justification by faith, and then you go on to talk about justification by faith, and then right in the middle here, it's like this bit about Jesus getting crucified. And I couldn't really see how it connected. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, why would you write this here, Paul? And then I remembered fat, which is funny because I was the one telling people about this stuff. And I remembered that I said on fat from the Bible that the cross is the center of Christianity. And I remembered um, a quote that I read on fat. Do you remember this quote from P.T. Forsyth? On this interpretation, the one that we saw on fat, on this interpretation of the work of Christ on the cross, the whole church rests if you move faith from that center. You have driven the nail into the church's coffin. The church is then doomed to death and it's only a matter of time before the church will expire. Do you remember we talked about how to kill our church? The way you kill our church is to to get the cross wrong, forget the cross. And we talked about how if you understand the cross of Jesus, you understand the Bible, you understand Jesus Christ. I've been talking to someone on Facebook. I don't think I even know this person. Maybe I do. It popped up on my newsfeed and and it was about the cross. And I was like trying to um, explain the cross to them because if you get the cross wrong, if you don't understand why Jesus died, you don't actually get how the whole Bible fits together. And that's why Paul here starts and finishes with the cross. In verse 1 it's there and then at the end of the part we read, verse 13 and 14, it says, uh, verse 13, read with me, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Now, what's that talking about? Redeemed, that that word means set free. He set us free from the curse of the law. We saw in verse 10 how um, if you try to obey the law, um, but you don't obey the law, there's a punishment bound up with not, not keeping the law. That's the curse of the law. And so Paul's saying, if you try by the law, you'll face punishment. Don't do that. Verse, verse 13, Christ redeemed us, set us free from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. What's that saying? Well, let's break it down. First of all, for us. This is something that Jesus did for us, on our behalf, in fact, in our place. Instead of us, he took our sins, our disobedience, our wrong things on on himself. He became sinful and he received our curse. He received our punishment. And I love that it uses the word became there. He became a curse. He, He became our punishment. It's almost like... This was so bound up with who he was and why he was here that it defined him. He became a curse for us. Martin Luther said, our curse, our punishment, struck him. And then he goes on and it it proves that this is what's happening by quoting the Old Testament, by quoting the Bible. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole, or your translation might read tree. And what it's saying is, even the Old Testament has in it, when a person's hung up on the cross... They're under God's curse. They're under God's punishment. What's happening here is this. I don't know if you guys ever did this. Um, when I was little, I used to get a magnifying glass. 
and go out into the uh, front, front steps. We had wooden steps, and I would like write my name in the steps with a magnifying glass. And um, if you got it at the right angle, you could like kind of suck the sun. That's not how it works, but you know, you could focus the sunlight down into just like one little point. Um, cruel people would, would do it to animals and stuff, but I would never do that. But uh, I, would, I would write my name into the wood. This is what's happening at the cross, right? You got all of the punishment, all of the curse for all of the sins that humanity has ever committed throughout all of history. And that's all focused down into one moment, one man on the cross. And he takes that for us. It just blows me away. How much does he have to love us to go through that for us? And so here's his argument. It's by faith because Jesus died. Because if Jesus died, died and took our punishment, if Jesus paid it all, then what's left for us to pay? If the, if the punishment for, for disobeying God's already been dealt with, well, we don't need to deal with it. If there's, there's no need for an I do this, I do this, I do this, if it's all been done. That's his point. And, and I want to say to you guys, this is on offer for you tonight. You got a choice from this passage. You can try to rely on your obedience to God's commands, but we all know we haven't done them. And we all know that um, if God was to judge us by Ten Commandments, we're guilty. We deserve punishment from Him. You can face that yourself, or the other option is you can have Jesus face it for you on your behalf. You can receive that offer. How? Well, look at verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, that's a promise that contains bound up in it all that salvation has, eternal life, relationship with God, a whole bunch of stuff. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we may receive the promise of the Spirit. You're in there redeemed, set free from law, from punishment, from even yourself to live for a new master, to live in a relationship with God. And, and it'll give you, one of the things it'll give you, we'll talk about this in a second, is the, the Holy Spirit. God comes to live inside you. And so, guys, I want to say if you want this blessing of salvation forever, it's not by doing good. If you're new here with us tonight or you haven't heard that before, you might have expected uh, the person at the front to say, here's a, few, a bunch of stuff that you should do um, to make sure that you're, you know, God likes you. No. If you, want this, if you want this salvation tonight, it's by faith in Christ. It's by trusting him. Look to Jesus. Rely on Jesus to save you and do it tonight. Second application there. The Christian life, for those of us who are Christians is the cross-shaped life. Don't think in terms of do's and don'ts about your Christian life. List of stuff I should do, list of stuff I must not do. Remember the cross. That's what we talked about at Fat. And how are you going at remembering the cross? I'll tell you one way you can know if you're remembering the cross. It's called the Christian roller coaster. Okay? A Christian roller coaster is this. If you're having a good day, uh, you're obeying Jesus, you, know, you, you haven't swore much, you haven't told many lies, you haven't stolen, you haven't killed anybody, it's going pretty well. You've even read your Bible, you had a good quiet time, and 
you feel like, yeah, me and God, we're pretty good today. He likes me. He's smiling. It's, it's a good day. The next day, not such a good day. You lie, you steal, you forget to read your Bible, you might kill a person. It's, it's not such a good day. And you feel like, wow, God must be really disappointed with me today. Um, I better do enough good. I better have a better day tomorrow so that I can pray to him again and so that he'll want to be around me. That's the Christian roller coaster. Roller coaster. And, and I reckon most Christians ride it. It's just instinctive because we, we so naturally want to think about our relationship with God bound up in what we've done. Do you need to ride the Christian roller coaster? Well, you would if your salvation was 99% what Jesus did and 1% what you did. If Jesus did most of the work and left you 1% left for you to do, then you'd need to ride the roller coaster. How'd I go in that 1% today? Good? Yeah, good. God loves me. Not so good? Dang. But it's not 99% and 1%. It's 100% Jesus. It's not even 100% Jesus as long as I have a really good amount of faith in Jesus. No, it's 100% Jesus as long as I'm relying on him. I don't need to do that perfectly. I don't need to do that with everything I've got. But as long as I really am relying on Jesus, it's 100% him. Which means you don't need to ride the roller coaster. Guilt's a good thing. It's like a smoke alarm. When you feel guilt, it tells you you've done something wrong. You should try and work out where the fire is and, and say sorry to God about it and ask him for forgiveness. But actually, that doesn't affect whether God um, loves you or not. It doesn't affect his opinion of you. Your opinion, God's opinion of you is based entirely on what Jesus has done in the cross. And so I'll tell you a quick story. I was um, telling the year 11 boys last week as we were chatting about this. Imagine if... Um, you're a Christian, you genuinely rely on Jesus, you've made him the Lord of your life, but we all have bad days. This day was particularly bad. You um, got ragingly drunk, um, and then you, got, uh, you went to like a brothel, and you slept with every single person in the brothel, and then you got a machine gun, and you shot everyone there. Okay? It's been a pretty bad day for you. And then you walk out of the brothel, and you pick up the phone, and you call... Jono. And you say, Jono, I've done something I shouldn't have done. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and so I explain to Jono everything I've done. And I say, Jono, does God still see me the same way he saw me two hours ago before I did all this stuff? What should Jono say? What would you say, Jono? And the reason that it sounds worrying is because you're wondering, is he really trusting in Jesus if he's doing this? Which is right. But that's the right answer. And that is the scandal of this message. 
It's not even 1% what you do. So that you could do something that crazy and it would not affect your standing with God. Because you're saved by what Jesus has done, not by what you do. Which means if you get that, if you get the cross and what Jesus has done there, what does it give you? It gives you this steady, joyful confidence towards God. By Christ, I'm at 100%. By Christ, he loves me and his acceptance of me day in, day out does not depend on what I do. Now, I've got to just talk to you about some stuff. You don't see me at my down times, okay? You, I reckon if you came to EV Youth, you would think that 24-7, I'm like this. <laughs> I'm just like loving life, jumping up and down, because that's how I am at youth. It's fun. There's all you guys here. I like you guys. Um, I like teaching the Bible. And so you could think that my Christian life is just like a, a Red Bull commercial. But I've got to confess that that's like, you're seeing like 5% of my week. And most of my week is not like that. In fact, every Saturday morning, I get depression. Why is that? Because if you've ever been to a really good party, the next day you're like, oh, because you kind of used up all your neurotransmitters and you just feel flat. I feel flat every single Saturday morning. And then as well as that, um, I didn't expect this, but when um, church started to pay me, I'm not a professional Christian, but it can sometimes feel like that. It can sometimes feel like I should read the Bible because that's my job. I should pray because that's my job. That's, that's not the case, but it can feel like that, and so it can kind of take a bit of the fun out of it, and you start to forget whether you're doing this because you love Jesus or just because you're supposed to. And so that's been pretty much my last year and a half, and, and at times, I, I think I, right now, I think I'm pretty spiritually dry. I, I like passion. I think passion is a good thing. I think we should strive to have it, and I like joy. I think joy is a great thing. We should have joy. How do you get it? How do you live? Well, you will never live the Red Bull commercial. That'll never be your Christian life, but how can you live with joy in your Christian life? And if you've lost it, how do you recover it? It's the cross. It's remembering what Jesus has done for you on the cross that took away your sin and meant that your relationship with God, your acceptance by him, his love for you is not based on what you do. That's why Paul begins and ends this, this whole passage with the cross because it's like the, the axis that pulls all your Christian life together and all your theology together. And so I want to just give you some practical tips about the cross. Number one, preach to yourself. Preach the cross to yourself. That sounds weird, but you're always talking to yourself. Have you realized that? You are always talking to yourself. You think crazy people do that? Everyone does it. Am I right? Or is that just me? Someone nod. <laughs> you, some people here talk to, you, talk to me, but I'm not sure about you guys either. No, we all, we all talk to ourselves. And when we wake up in the morning, we wake up and we think, is this going to be a good day or a bad day? And then we just start to, to listen to the voice in our head. Oh, I got this test on. Oh, worried about that. I'm not sure about this. And we just start to, to tell ourselves all this stuff. But you can actually tell yourself whatever you want to tell yourself. So make a lot of what you tell yourself. God demonstrates his love for me in this. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for me. He redeemed me in order that the blessing... Make sure that you're telling yourself about this stuff so that you don't forget it. What might help you to do that would be memorizing some good verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 is a great one that I just quoted before. 
God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You might want to memorize that verse. You want to pray about the cross. It's good to pray about. You can pray to God about whatever you want. Yeah, He's your father if you're a Christian. He cares about what you care about. So pray to him about whatever you want. But if all the time, all you pray about is, um, thank you for this day, thank you for this food, and please help me to go well at school. If, if that's all you pray about, there's so much more you could be praying about. And I'd say one great thing to be praying about is thank you for the cross. Thank you that my salvation was bought at the cross. Thank you that on the cross I'm saved. Thank you that my, even though I sinned yesterday, that didn't change my relationship with my standing with you because of the cross. You might like to listen to Christian music that reminds you of the cross. Some people can't handle it. I get that. Some people like it. If you like it, or even if you know, maybe it's helpful to, to listen to it while you drive around or whatever and remind yourself of truth about the cross. You might want to study the cross and, and learn more about it and read books about it. And I want us actually to be a culture, a community that reminds each other about the cross. You might remind yourself about it by like writing stuff about it on things and sticking it up. You might talk to people around you. In fact, can you do this for me? Can you just turn to the person next to you and say, how good is it that Jesus died for you? Now, what we're not going to do is go through the middle two arguments. I'd like to, just don't have time. But he starts and ends with the cross, so that's what we focused on. The middle two arguments are this. You received the Holy Spirit by believing, not by doing works of the law. So why would you think that as you went on in your Christian life, what you do makes any difference to whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're saved or not? That's, you started by, you received the Spirit, you started by just believing. It's not like there's now this law that you've got you to do and, and, and that will make you a, a real Christian. No, no, it's, it's by faith. That's his argument in uh, the next bit. And the last bit, he backs it up with some scripture. And he says, even Abraham, even Abraham was saved by faith. It's always been like that since the very beginning. Now, I'll just finish with some application um, from that part about the Spirit. Have a look at, um, at verse 2. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? First, it's interesting, he says, I want to learn one thing from you, and then out comes like 12 questions. It's like, well, your parents. i got one question for you, and then bang, 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 questions. But he's trying to make a point, um, and the point is how you became a Christian was by believing, not by doing things. But as an aside, have you ever noticed that we've got the Holy Spirit as Christians? I reckon that's something that we easily overlook. Uh, one commentary, someone writing about this passage, didn't even mention the Holy Spirit as they wrote about it. But here's a true thing. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Yet God is everywhere, but he's actually in a special way, in a more personal way, living inside of you. In the Old Testament, to go and be with God, you had to go to the temple. And, um, and I reckon we shouldn't ever use the language of um, when you go to youth group, you're like coming to God, coming to the presence of God, nothing like that. Because there's nothing you need to do if you're a Christian to go into the presence of God. You're in the presence of God all the time. In fact, more than that, the presence of God is inside you. That's really cool. Which means that when you read your Bible, when you pray, when you wash the dishes, you're doing all of those things in the presence of God, with God. That's cool. And so praise God if you've received the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of stuff that we've got to um, 
we've got to find out about the Holy Spirit and a lot of stuff that people can get wrong and all that stuff, but it's just really cool. And I don't know if you're, um, if you're someone who feels anxious about stuff, but there's good news here. God is living inside of you. He hears your concerns and, his, and your worries. His power is working to help you, and nothing is too big for him. The Holy Spirit, it's good. Some Christians can be up themselves. There's good news here for you as well. You've got nothing to be up yourself about. You didn't do anything to become a Christian. That's what he's saying there. Any genuine growth that you've had as a Christian since then, that's not from you. That's been the Holy Spirit. It's really good to have the Holy Spirit. Well, tonight, I think the real question that faces all of us is, are you trusting in Jesus? Are you relying on his death on the cross to save you? And if you're not sure, do you want to begin that? If you are, hang in there. If we ever have to suffer like those people in Iraq, is, is this salvation worth it? Is what Christ has done for us worth it? That God has done everything required to make it possible for us to be saved. He's took the punishment, the curse of the law for us, set us free from it, so that now it's by faith, not by what we do. I reckon that is worth, worth giving up our lives for. And I know some people here tonight, you're kind of feeling torn. You kind of want to be a Christian but you also kind of feel the attraction of other stuff, the, the, what the world offers, and it's, it's kind of making you wonder whether maybe you'll walk away. I just want to ask you, um, what are you walking away to, and what are you walking away from? What are you walking away to, if that's you? I was talking to Luke Charters about this, um, and he won't mind me sharing this. I asked him, but here's, here is exactly what he said. A life without the Spirit feels empty. In my teens, I spent time angry with God. I tried to replace him with drinking and drugs, but I felt hopelessly empty. If you're, not, if, if you're tempted to walk away from this truth, what are you walking away for? I, I, it's not worth it. And I want you just to, just to think about what you're walking away from. Because I think what a lot of people do if they walk away from Jesus is they... It, it happens because eventually they start to think of Jesus just in terms of a list of do's and don'ts. And, and the world just seems more attractive because Christianity can, can even become just a thing that makes me feel guilty. And I want you just to see what this passage has been saying. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? It's not about what you do. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. It might feel like that, but this whole passage says that it's not. It's not what you do, it's what Jesus has done. It's not about feeling guilty, it's actually about the cure for guilt. Jesus has taken away your sin and your punishment. It's about the Holy Spirit working in you, the power of God. And it's about a relationship. It's the closest relationship that you will ever have. God, the God who made you and knows you better than anyone living inside of you by His Spirit.